Mutability. Welcome to Nature's Lead. This is a podcast available at naturesleadcom that both examines and inspires a certain approach towards life that is based both on personal philosophies and on the writings of people such as Emerson and Thoreau. Please send any feedback to info at naturesleadcom or drop a comment on to either the blog or on to iTunes. This is Series 2, Episode 27, Title, Jumping the Gap. Welcome, everyone. In this episode, I look at how the world we've manufactured for ourselves brings up many questions, and I'll recite some words from Thoreau and Wordsworth. So we'll get to that in a second, but first today's random window. I overlook a valley from my bedroom window, and I often open my curtain in the dark just before slipping into bed and stand there looking out at the faint etched outlines of the trees across the way and the gentle curved heights of the hilltop beyond the valley. And when the moon's out, I'll contort my body and neck to get my eyes in just the right position to be able to see its showering warmth. I want nature to be my last vision of each day, for it must be nurturing. It must feed my spirit. It must, because I can feel it. On to the main topic, jumping the gap. What is the gap? Well, in this context, the gap I'm referring to is the gap between us and nature. Step one for any civilization is protection from nature. A civilization that lives in tents has tents for that exact reason. Protection from animals, bugs, the cold, rain, snow. We don't think of our houses and other buildings as protection very often. If you live in an area with a tough winter, you may think of it a lot. But everything we do in a house could be done without a roof. And most things we could do without walls. Unless we introduce nature. I can sit on a vacant lot and hook up my cable, electricity, etc. I can run my kitchen under the stars. I can watch Happy Days under an umbrella. But I need a roof once weather is tossed into the equation. I need a sturdy structure to withstand anything she might cook up in all hours of the night. So we can collectively feel like nature is not a part of our modern-day world, We can think of it as a sideshow, something to occasionally discuss around the water cooler. But we are more influenced by nature than we know. Unfortunately, our often unnoticed relationship with nature is one of antagonism. Nature is only on everyone's tongue when the wheel is squeaky. I feel like the more I champion the benefits of nature within my spirit, the more counterweight I apply to civilization's relentless character attack. And don't forget, when I say civilization, I'm including myself. I'm part of that attack. I don't give myself unto nature. I don't move into the woods like Thoreau. I'm not as committed as him. The trouble with today's world is that if you're as committed as Thoreau, you'll end up being committed. No, I'm a civilized guy. I'll spend time in the woods... But it's trivial when compared to months or years weaved into a lifestyle. I work for corporate America. But, 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 
I try, I attempt to mirror some of Thoreau's physical separation through mental separation, through spiritual separation. In Walden, when Thoreau is, early on, struggling with complete solitude, there is an important moment he describes. In the midst of a gentle rain, while these thoughts prevailed, I was suddenly sensible of such sweet and beneficent society in nature, in the very pattering of the drops, and at every sound and sight around my house, an infinite and unaccountable friendliness all at once, like an atmosphere sustaining me, as made the fancied advantages of human neighborhood insignificant, and I have never thought of them since. Every little pine needle expanded and swelled with sympathy and befriended me. I was so distinctly made aware of the presence of something kindred to me, even in scenes which we are accustomed to call wild and dreary, and also that the nearest of blood to me and humanist was not a person nor a villager, that I thought no place could ever be strange to me again. Oh, what I wouldn't give to have an experience like that, even if just for a few months. Maybe someday. Maybe someday I can spare a couple months. But as long as I keep using the phrase spare, it's probably not going to happen. I watched the movie Castaway again recently. I absolutely love films like that where someone is isolated in nature and has to learn and evolve their approach to the everyday. In Castaway... In case you haven't seen it, the main character is stranded on a very small Pacific island as the sole survivor of a plane crash, and most of the movie has no dialogue as it just follows his progress for many years. The reason I'm bringing this movie up is because there is a single point, as many of these types of movies have, where the main character makes a leap in his transformational arc from the old world to the new from a former lifestyle and way of seeing the world to a new, different life, a new approach. Incidentally, in most movies, there is the larger storyline that moves the action, and there is the personal transformation that the main character goes through. So there are often two threads of through lines running parallel in a movie. In this movie, the main character must survive and eventually find a way off the island. That is the main story. But personally, this man goes through a change where he gives himself to the island. He becomes one with it. And it is a moment within this thread of his transformational arc of which I am speaking. There is a cave on the island where he began to sleep, and he still had a small flashlight that survived the crash. And he used the flashlight to see a picture of his girlfriend in the dark for comfort. And he accidentally fell asleep at one point with the flashlight still on. And what happened is that the flashlight ran out, fading to dark. Then, the next morning, a single beam of light, just like the flashlight, streamed through into the cave and moved across his face, which woke him up in more ways than one. This was the turning point when he began to accept that he was now a part of the island, and he grew into a successful inhabitant from there on. To survive, to be successful, to truly live there, 
to finally accept nature and resolutely join his life with hers. He had to fully abandon civilization. One light was released and one was let in. Not many of us will ever have a chance to do this, but how can we learn from this and emulate this? I ask myself that. When I see movies like this, when I experience moments like that, and when I empathize with this imagined reality of pictures flashed on a wall or in a box in my living room, I try to feel what it would be like to be there in that moment. A healthy, powerful imagination is so valuable. It's all we have, really, since, as I've said in the past, it's all imagined in the end. Thus, the better the imagination, the better life can be. But back to the moment. It is at that point in the movie when the main character jumps the gap. He makes the leap from civilization to nature. And this is not a physical leap. This is a mental leap. A psychological jump. Thoreau had probably already made that mental leap for the most part. His moving into the woods for a couple years alongside Walden Pond was mostly a physical crossing of the gap. This contemplation of how I live, this struggle of understanding how I and we got here, this always reminds me of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. In this pyramid he formed, Security was the second foundation layer in the stack. It was only after these founding layers, these basic human needs, were satisfied when you could begin to realize some of the higher level needs that get into social, esteem, and self-actualization at the top. When you're up high on the pyramid, the second foundation layer of safety is hardly noticed because it's already being provided. In the same way, we've forgotten the founding principle of our dwellings. Instead, they often become a huge percentage of our lives. We unknowingly buy our own separation from nature. With every DVD, with every video game, with every comfortable couch, nature drifts away from our focus. She becomes an oddity at the edge of our peripheral vision. But maybe our minds are too complex to be fulfilled by nature. Maybe our brains can only be fully realized by those creations manufactured by other brains. Is it that? Or is it just comfortable? Is it simply more comfortable to immerse ourselves into ourselves? Remember Wordsworth's lines I quoted before from one of his poems? The world is too much with us late and soon. Getting and spending, we lay waste our powers. Little we see in nature that is ours. We have given our hearts away, a sordid boon. We obviously are going to always feel more comfortable surrounding ourselves in an environment we created. We are the bird, high up in the tree, spending a good portion of our lives building and maintaining the nest. We want to make life easier. All animals strive every day to make life easier. It's innate. What's the difference with us, then? Why is it so wrong if it's animal instinct? It's not wrong. It's perfectly fine. But there is a difference. There are two distinct differences. 
we can self-analyze and understand that we are trying to make our lives easier and we are advanced enough in our safety within nature to enable contemplation of nature's beauty and power. We can comprehend some of these higher concepts from an intelligent and emotional perspective. This is a great gift. However, the irony with our civilized foundation of protection from nature, often called shelter, is that the very thing we create to protect ourselves from the bad of nature has been expanded to such great lengths that we have also barred ourselves from the good of nature. We have created a full human existence in our towns and cities. It is no longer as if we exist within nature. It is as if we exist exclusive to nature. We are almost alongside her, a peer, not a member. She is that distant uncle who, if you track the tree back long enough, has some commonality in the ancient bloodline, a genealogy dusted over in leather-bound volumes on distant shelves. And for many, she is not even a peer. She is a conquered plebeian, a groundling in the globe, stumbling around from the weight of a menial lifestyle as we muse with pointed fingers from our balcony perch. No, 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 no. It's not true. It's not fair. I know, I hear you. When did truth and fairness ever mean anything in a civilized world? I guess that the truth and beauty of nature only really comes to us when we first, as a founding principle, see ourselves as not a part of nature, but as nature. We are that tree we drive by every day to work. We are that mountain we vacation on once every two years. And we are that island that we are stranded on, called Earth. What do you think? I don't know. I do know, though, that I feel more in tune with that tree than I do with my house. But my house is my world, and the tree is a rubber-necked fancy. Hmm. I know I will never physically make that leap in my life, but I need to better understand and mentally attack the life-defining process of jumping the gap. That brings us to a close, so until next time, I wish you well and don't forget to follow nature's lead.